Hello and welcome to the Economy Bytes podcast. The podcast features the latest market and economic updates from the economics and sustainability team at PwC Middle East, as featured in our monthly Transforming Our Region webinar. In this episode, we hear from Jing Tio, a director in the economics and sustainability team at PwC Middle East. I think there's understandable concern that the recent bank failures or near misses might lead to the risk of contagion in the region. I think it's important to put this into perspective. These incidents, you know, as you say, appear to be originating from institutions facing idiosyncratic issues. For example, the issues at Credit Suisse have been known for some time now. Uh, or it's affecting institutions with weak balance sheets or weak risk management. Now, will this lead to broader contagion? We don't know yet the full extent of the interlinkages and if this might become a more systemic problem. But that said, there are a number of factors that might limit this risk. So firstly, many regulators still have institutional memories of the last crisis. So they're not only monitoring the situation very closely, but have shown that they are willing to step in and very assertively, if necessary, and also have the tools to intervene. Second, the global banks are also far better capitalized than they were 15 years ago and are much better able to manage these contagion risks. And then also an initial assessment of the GCC banks by the credit rating agencies suggests that the direct exposures are limited. And again, the, the banks in the region are also pretty well capitalized. And in terms of exposure, the bulk of lending activity will be oriented towards local investments, particularly in the non-all sector to drive the economic diversification agenda. And then on the funding side, the banks are also funded by stable deposits, which are also substantially underpinned by government deposits. So the public sector has a keen interest in ensuring the stability of the banking system in the region. So the critical thing now is really for regulators to monitor these indicators that are likely to indicate any systemic risk. So for example, the interbank spreads and nip any issues in the bud before it becomes more problematic. So moving on, since we are celebrating International Women's Day this month, I thought I would you know, take a bit of time to just highlight how far the region has come in terms of female economic empowerment and particularly getting women into the workforce. The, the UAE and Saudi Arabia in particular have seen significant progress. Saudi Arabia has more than doubled the share of working age women that are in the labor force over the last two decades. And there is also a large body of evidence which shows that diversity has a positive impact at the macroeconomic level. Men and women bring different skills and perspectives to the workforce and they have different attitudes to risk and collaboration. And so harnessing a broader set of skills, increasing the diversity of the labor pool can spur productivity gains. And it's also well documented that greater diversity can improve commercial performance and investor returns. So for example, a study by MSCI found that having three or more women on management boards can increase return on equity and earnings per share. Now that's it. We know that companies face the challenge of a leaky pipeline. Women tend to drop out of the labor force when their careers are likely to peak. And this means that they are not equally represented at senior levels. And this you know, obviously contributes to the pay gap. So if you look at you know, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE, less than 20% of all senior managers in the private sector are female and labor force participation on the whole still lags behind the OECD average. So clearly there's still room for improvement and policy interventions 
can help encourage or support women returning to work, such as parental leave, strengthening legal protections against gender discrimination, and so on. And the UAE also requires that listed companies should have at least one female board member. And then on the private sector side, you know, companies, of course, should hopefully recognize that creating an inclusive and diverse workplace is the right thing to do, not only morally, but commercially. And our study last year on the survey of young women in the region showed what key actions employers can take to attract and retain them in the workforce. And this includes investing in skills and training, providing access to sponsorship and mentoring opportunities, as well as ensuring fair opportunities for career advancement. And it's critical, you know, focusing on these areas and providing targeted support for working mothers could address the needs and priorities of most working women, no matter which stage of life they are at. The final theme I wanted to touch on is the pivot in political and economic relations towards the East and particularly China. Now, the deepening trade and investment relationship with Asia has been ongoing for decades, as we can see here. But there are some underlying factors that suggest that there may be a more decisive pivot throughout the 2020s. The first factor, of course, is China. While the US is still an important security partner for the Gulf states, China's status as an economic partner is certainly growing. So if you look at GCC China trade, it's basically doubled over the last decade. And China is already the biggest trading partner for all GCC economies. Uh, with the exception of Bahrain. And this is also reflected in investment ties. China is investing heavily in the UAE and Saudi Arabia. In fact, Saudi Arabia was the largest beneficiary of Belt and Road Initiative investments in 2022. The second thing is trade deals. A free trade agreement between the GCC and China is on the horizon, but also potentially with Japan, South Korea and India. The negotiations have been going on for some time now, but are gaining momentum and could be finalized this year or next, which would provide a major boost to trade and investment. Um, and then the third is cooperation in the non-hydrocarbon sectors. So the, the GCC clearly is very well placed to serve Asia's energy needs, but trade and investment links in non-hydrocarbon sectors are also fast growing. So there are emerging partnerships in digital, in high-tech sectors, logistics, renewable energy, and advanced manufacturing. And again, it's also mirrored in the investment patterns in the region's sovereign wealth funds as well that are looking eastwards for deals. So in the middle of last year, the Gulf funds were involved in almost $30 billion of acquisitions outside the Middle East and Africa. And much of these investments are heading towards China, India, Singapore, and the broader ASEAN region as well. So in summary, I think, you know, China's economic clout and Asia's more broadly and the shifting geopolitical landscape presents the region with opportunities to diversify their international economic and political relationships by looking east for, for new strategic alliances. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Tune in again next month for a new episode of Economy Bites.